Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Morning, church. Our Bible reading is taken from 2 Kings 2, 13 to 18. At the end of this reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Please kindly respond by saying thanks be to God. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we your servants have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, Didn't I tell you not to go? This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, yeah. Something quick before we start. Um, Pastor Femi, what the... What she said, I wasn't there, honestly. I wasn't there. I had nothing to do with that. Okay, but um, let's just pray before we start. Um, Father, your word says that it is good when brothers, and we also know sisters, dwell in unity. It is like the anointing that flows from Aaron's head onto his beard and onto his clothes. Lord, we are united together here to hear your word this morning. So we ask, oh God, that your anointing will flow upon us, O God, in the name of Jesus. Anoint us to receive from you. Anoint us to hear rightly. Anoint me, O God, to declare your word boldly and with authority in the name of Jesus. That will not be hearers alone, but doers of your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, All right. If you're worshiping with us for the first time, or you've been away for a while, um, or you're watching with us online for the first time. My name is um, Domio Larewaju. I am one of the guys on the preaching team here. Um, in 2015, the 2015 Eddie's Award, um, for those of us who don't know what the Eddie's Award is, the Eddie's Award is a musical award. You're already laughing. <laughs> the musical award in Nigeria. And um, something interesting happened in 2015. Um, we Nigerians, we love a great rivalry. And so there was a great rivalry at that time between two record labels. Maven Records and YBNL. 
Um, what happened was this. There was supposed to be an award. An award was supposed to be given for the next rated artist. That is the next upcoming artist, something like that. Uh, and it was between Ricardo Banks, who belonged to Maven Records, and um, Liu Kesh, who belonged to uh, YBNL. Well, Ricardo Banks got the award. And um, the YBNL crew were not exactly um, happy about that. So their leader, Olamide Badu, right, um, decided to share, you know, give them a piece of his mind, just a piece. And so he climbed, he climbed the stage and took the mic and he said something. I would have loved to play the video for us, but this is sacred space, right? <laughs> we don't want to ruin anything here. But I'm going to paraphrase. Again, you know the way Olamide is now? It's like an embodiment of the street. There's the way he just does his stuff with swag and everything. Probably shouldn't admire him that much. But um, he got to stage and he said something. He said, oh, streets to take over. You know what that means? The streets are taking over. And he said, every song, referring to the songs that Likesh sang, every song was a hit back to back from lyrically to Shoki to FL Joku. And when I think about the Elijah series, I cannot help but think that every sermon in this series has actually, actually been a hit back to back from the days of Elijah to the darkness of the soul, to uh, we are not the change we seek. Do you remember that sermon? God has actually been faithful to us. I see God has been taking us on a journey of empowerment, on a journey of fortification. I see God is calling us from where we were to a greater level. Amen. And even concerning my, in my own personal life, I have seen my own prayer life upgrade just in this series. I've seen my own faith being released more and more, trusting God to actually do things that I am incapable of doing. But just as we know, everything that starts has to end. So this is the last time on the Elijah series. Okay, I'm going to do that again because you're supposed to be sad, all right? No, 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 no. I'll give you time. I'll give you time. We'll do this again. So this is the last time on the Elijah series. Thank you very much, right? Thank you very much. But I still believe that God has a word for us even now. I still believe that God has one final hit song. That is going to sing for us. And, and the Lord will actually bless us with his word in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so just following, just a quick recap of the story. We, we, we've learned a lot from Elijah's series. And we learned that um, there was a spiritual um, darkness in the time of, in time of Elijah. The, um, because of the idolatry of Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And God sends Elijah to go and declare his word boldly. Elijah declares the word that there shall be no rain unless he says so. And God honored that word. Amen. And God began to perform miracles with Elijah. God started feeding him with ravens. God started feeding him with oil that never ran dry. Right? Until we get to that point again, as we continue with the story, we find out that following Elijah's way is not the only way to be faithful with God. We find out that Obadiah was also faithful with God. Why? Because he went about looking for grass on behalf of the king. He was faithful where God had placed him. The story continues. We get to Mount Carmel. Elijah is standing and he calls fire from heaven. Probably one of our favorite parts in, in scripture, right? Again, he also prays earnestly that, that the rain should then fall. And the rain came. And after this particular instance, we get to a part that actually paints a good picture of what it means for Elijah to be a man of like passions. Elijah was depressed. And many of us have been there before. It's the darkness of the soul. And Elijah needed God to encourage him. He needed God to lift him up. And God did just that. The story continues. Somebody tried to arrest Elijah. Elijah, right? He caused fire and just burnt all of them. And then we get to a point last week where um, the Bible said it was time for Elijah to be taken away. And the chariots of fire came. And they took Elijah and they carried him to heaven. 
Now, it is very, very possible, and that's where we are at this point, where um, Elijah has been taken away, but Elisha is left. Elijah is no more, but Eli we are left with Elisha. And it's very, very possible for us to get so excited with the energy that is in the story, with the way the story is going, with the person of the story. We miss the emotions of the people that are actually in the story. And so the story doesn't carry as much weight for us. Again, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not going to ask this, but I know most of us have experienced this. Um, it's the loss of a loved one. Most of us have lost somebody close to us. I, I remember I was in GS2 when I lost my grandma. She was the only grandparent I had. I, I met, actually. Um, I don't even think I processed that time well. I grew older and one of my neighbors died. Um, our son was my very good friend. And I remember where I was that evening. I was with another friend and we received the call that um, Mommy Jibola is dead. And we ran home. We entered the house and we held each other's hands and we started praying that God should actually raise our back because we're not ready for her to go. It was this way in which, it was this way in which we, we felt that, no, there, there's, there's got to be still a little bit more time spent with her. Well, I slept over at my friend's house that day. And um, you know these kind of awkward moments where you're probably trying to comfort somebody, but you don't want to say the wrong thing because you can say the wrong thing and just sound very, very stupid, right? And so we didn't say anything until he was going to talk. And he said something. It's a, very, it's a thing that a lot of people say when they actually lose loved ones. He said, I still cannot believe that she's gone. And so, just the same way, you find the sentiment of losing somebody. We understand the sentiment of losing somebody. We also find that sentiment in the text as well. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 16, the, the sons of the prophet said, they said, we, we, your servants, are 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. These were the same sons of the prophet last week that actually went to meet Elijah and said, Oh, do you know that your master will be taken away from you? So they knew that Elijah was going, but they still couldn't believe that Elijah was going. It was this sense in which they knew they had lost something. They knew they had lost something. At that time, um, we lost another, another uh, my mom lost, uh, my mom, um, our friend lost her husband and we went to visit her that same day and we're all consoling her and doing all those things and it just got to a particular point and she just stood up and started running away. And we went after her and like, where are you going? And she was like, I'm going to look for him. I'm going to look for him. I can't still believe he's gone. I'm going to look for him. You find that same sentiment in the text. These people had experienced the power of God upon Elijah's life. Elijah was the miracle guy. Elijah was the one that was calling power from heaven. We still cannot believe that he's gone. Or maybe not just the sons of the prophet, but we also miss the emotions that Elisha might also have been going through at the time. Because this was Elijah that had worked with for about 18 years. This was Elijah that was going to stand boldly in the face of Ahab and declare the word of the, God, of the Lord and nothing was going to happen to him. This was Elijah that he spent time with and you could almost imagine maybe Elijah and Elisha walking down the road of Palestine. And again, if I was Elijah, I would probably, this would most likely happen. I would just be like, ah! And Elijah would be like, why? why? Why are you screaming? And he's like, so you want to tell me that you went back to the jar the next day and the oil was still flowing? <laughs> and Elijah would be like, you just rolled the dial again. He'd be like, yes. He'd be like, ah, oh, more. <laughs> you understand? Like, because like, this guy is just the baddest. Or maybe he'll probably say again, like, oh, like, remind me, tell me about that time when you raised that boy from the dead. And Elijah would say, but I've told you this boy, he said, tell me again. Remind me that God's power is still available even in the midst of the darkness. And this was what Elisha, this was how Elisha viewed Elijah. 
We also find out in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 12, when Elijah was being taken away from him, from him, Elisha said, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. When you think about chariots, what do you think about? A military equipment, like a military system. So what Elisha was actually saying was this, was what Elijah represented. Elijah represented the security system of Israel. Elijah represented the defense and offense system of Israel. So for Elisha, when Elijah was going, it was the end of an era of security. It was the end of an era of God's divine intervention in Israel. It was a bad experience for Elijah. Elisha. But what I am going to try to show us today is this. That the ending of an era is not the end of the move of God. It most likely is the birthing of a new era if we are sensitive enough to actually work with God. Because when an era ends, it's so easy for us to get so caught up with the ending, we miss the new beginning that God is bringing about. It's this way in which sometimes we see a door that is closed and we're obsessed with the closed door where right beside it, God has opened a new one. And that is why I've titled this sermon, A New Era. A New Era. We'll be discussing this under three headings. The pattern of the new era. The vibe of the new era. Yes, you heard that right. <laughs> and the power of a new era. The pattern, the vibe, and the power. So quickly, the pattern of the new era. Um, there is this thing that people usually say. You must have seen it online or something. Um, once is an incident. Twice is a coincidence. And the third time is a what? It's a pattern. Right? So if an event has happened before, and there are certain things that came about as a result of that event. If we see that event happen again, which is just logical for us to expect that, oh, these things that happen because of that event can also happen here. This is not the first time in history of the Bible that the ministry of a particular man of God seemed to be cultured to give way to the ministry of another man of God. We find it with Elijah and Elisha, but we also find it with Moses and Joshua as well. And so we can expect that if we can examine these two scenarios, Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, if we see certain things that seem to be a pattern, if we see this same thing, a third time where the life of a man of God is being cultured, we should expect the things that happen in those times should actually happen in third time as well. So let's just examine them together. The pattern of the new era. One of the first things you notice as a pattern in the new era is this. There is a recognizable transfer of power based on an event. There is a recognizable transfer of power from one era to the next based on an event. You find that in, um, you find that in verse 2 Kings 2, 13 to 15. 2 Kings 2, 13 to 15. The Bible says, Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, he divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting upon Elisha. So you see, the cloak of Elijah is now with Elisha. The power that was in the old era of Elijah now rests with Elisha, but you also see that it has to be recognizable. Elisha parted the sea, Elisha parted the river, and they looked at him and they said, oh, the spirit of Elijah is upon Elisha. That is, there is a transfer, a, a recognizable transfer of power based on an event that happened. But we also find it with Moses as well. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, the Bible says that Joshua was a man filled with, was a man filled with the Spirit of God 
Why? Because Moses had laid the dance upon him. So there was a transfer of power. But that also had to be recognizable. So we find that, that um, just as Moses parted the Red Sea, Joshua also, based on the instruction of the Lord, also parted the Jordan. And the Bible says something, Joshua 5.14, that that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life. Just as they are stood in awe of Moses, there was a transfer, there was a, there was a recognizable transfer of power based on an event. But another pattern that we see is this, that the old era is usually greater in intensity but lesser in scope. Amen. The old era, the era of Joshua, the era, the era of Moses, the era of Elijah is usually greater in intensity but lesser in scope. But the new era is, is usually what? Lesser in intensity but greater in scope. We find it with Elijah. The ministry of Elijah was actually in, simply in the northern part of Israel. But with Elisha, we find that Elisha actually ministered to um, Jehu, the king of Israel, and Azael, the king of Syria. There was a greater scope to the ministry of these guys. But we find out that Elijah actually, Elijah's ministry had greater intensity. Elijah was the one that was calling fire left, right, and center, destroying people and destroying bulls at the same time. Elijah, Elijah, Elijah is the one that we want to think about, though the person that represents the office of the prophet in the Old Testament is Elijah you point to. Because there was an intensity to his ministry. But Elisha, on the other hand, had greater scope in the new era. Amen. But we find this with Moses as well. Moses' ministry was, had greater intensity than the ministry of Joshua. Moses was the one that they were walking. There was a pillar of fire in the night and a pillar of cloud in the day. Moses was the one that parted the Red Sea. What did Joshua part? A Jordan River. Right? So there was a greater intensity to that ministry. It was the time of Moses that food was falling from the sky, literally. That chicken wanted to be killed. You know, you know what that means? Like the quail, they were like, just pick them and kill them up. There was a greater intensity to the ministry of Moses. But the ministry of Moses was simply in Israel, was, was simply at the foot of, at the, at the border of Canaan. We find out that Elisha, Joshua's ministry, on the other hand, in Joshua chapter 1, verse, chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, had greater scope. God said to Joshua, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from, des from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite countries to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. There was, great, there was lesser intensity, but there was greater scope. So we, like I said, so the pattern of the new era is that we see a recognizable transfer of power because time had been shortened, because time, because their time had been cut short. We see a pattern of greater scope as well. And so if you have been following everything I've been saying, you can see similarities between Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, and who? Christ and the church. Christ's life also has been, was cut short, but we also understand that there had to be a recognizable transfer of power. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus said, he said, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In John chapter 20, Jesus looked at the disciples and the Bible said, he breathed upon them and said, receive the spirit. So there was a transfer of power. But like I said, it had to be recognizable. So we get to the Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples of Jesus and they began to speak in tongues and began to speak boldly. The Bible said concerning them, what, what the people said was in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 4 verse 13. They said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that what? These men had been with Jesus. There was a recognizable transfer of power even in the new era. But like I also said, there is also an extension of scope. 
There's a greater scope in the new era. We find out in Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, Jesus actually had a lesser scope. Bible says that um, Jesus said, I have been sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to the disciples, He said, You will be endued with power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. The new era has a greater scope. The era of the church is that of a greater scope. Jesus said in John chapter 14, He said, Great works I do, greater works shall you do because I go to the Father. You will do greater works because you have more time. And because the power of the old era is available to you. Amen. Amen. I want you to repeat after me. The power of Christ is available to us. Say with confidence. The power of Christ is available to us. We are the people of the new era. This is the pattern of the new era. That there is a greater scope. That there is the same power that Jesus operated in. We can also operate in that power as well. The question then is this. In what way have you become obsessed with your Jerusalem when God has actually made you for the uttermost parts of the earth? So there's a sense in which you're constantly saying, at least man, I have put my faith in Christ Jesus. So at least man, I'm saved. But there's that colleague that sits right beside in your office that has never heard the gospel. Or maybe some of you, oh, as long as my family is okay, as long as my family is well-fed, as long as my family is worshipping Jesus, I do not care about the family, my extended family. We just care about our nuclear family. God has sent us beyond where we are. God has sent us beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, beyond Samaria, onto the uttermost parts of the earth. The new era is that of a greater scope. Or maybe for some of us, we have gauged where we think the extent of our ministry can get to. The extent of our influence can get to simply because we feel as if this should be done in your own power. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 19, He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. So what? So you go and make disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples. In whose power? In the power of Christ. But what then? Is the vibe of the new era. What then is the um, mindset, the attitude of the new era? So that will lead to the second point. The vibe of the new era. Um, I actually asked for the definition of the vibe. Um, nobody could explain to me. It's one of those words, Nigerian words we have, that we all know what it means, but we can't explain it. Right? So, but again, I, I got close. The vibe means like an aura. So when somebody enters into a room, you know, like there's an aura to them, there's a vibe to them, there's a feel to them. So that's what we mean. So the vibe of the new era, that's what I mean, the feel, the feel of the new era. The vibe, so just pay attention to this statement. We're going to discuss it a little bit in this second point. The vibe of the new era is an healthy view of the past, which leads to a deep sense of responsibility in the present while looking to the future. I'll say that again. The vibe of the new era is an healthy view of the past, which leads to a deep sense of responsibility in the present while looking to the future. We need an healthy view of the past. Why? Precedence. Precedence. The faith that we have, the faith that which we are exercising in the new era, is because we have, is based upon the faithfulness of God in the old era. Look at Second Kings chapter two, verse fourteen. He said, "He took the cloak that fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it." Where now is the God of Elijah? The God Elijah was, was also saying that the God that came through for Elijah, I need him to come through for me as well. I have seen God act in that era. I need him to come and act in my own era. Hold that we city church to be those kinds of people that we say, see, I have read this in the scripture. I have seen God provide in the scripture. I have seen God heal the sick in the scripture. I have seen God raise the dead in the scripture. I need him to do the very same thing in my life and healthy view of the past. 
But what we tend to do most times is to probably criticize our fellow Nigerians. They actually say, oh, I'm praying to the God of Adeboye. I'm praying to God of Oedeko. I'm praying to God of Babalola. Why? Because in our own minds, they've idolized these men. And in a sense, maybe they have. But there's also something else there. They're expressing a particular sentiment that, see, God has done something for this particular person. I need him to do that very same thing, even in the situation I have found myself now. And is this way, and this is what I'm saying, that this is why testimonies are important. Many times we come to church, even among brethren, among when we are sharing with each other, you only share the times when you are trusting God to do something for you. You don't share anything when the victory has actually come. And we need to begin to share our testimonies, to share these victories, because the victory you are actually sharing is what another person will look to the past and say, God, I have seen you do this thing for that person. Please do it for me as well. Testimonies are important. I know we have all been scarred by testimonies. I know that. I remember in Sunday school, um, testimony time. Lesson time, yeah. And so they would say, if you want to share testimonies, raise up your hand. Um, nobody will raise up their hand, but there will be this one boy or one girl, you know. And then they will call them and they'll be like, oh, all right, come and share your testimony. How <laughs> do you get for being my friend? Anyways, um, all right, come and share your testimony. I'm not letting it go. <laughs> and all right, stands up and says, it starts with something. They always start with one thing. I want to thank the Lord for the salvation of, uh, of my soul. And for the next five to ten minutes, they just keep on making the thing up as they go. Right, so yes, I understand that testimonies, the way testimonies have been shared in church has actually scarred us, but do you realize that the whole Bible is a testimony of God's intervention in the affairs of men? This is your testimony. The Bible is your testimony. I have seen God send fire of revival at one particular point. I can trust it to send revival in city church. I have seen God send the rain of the Spirit at one point. I, I, I can hope and believe that he's going to do the same thing for us, even now. Your past is important. It just depends on how you view it. You should have an healthy view of the past. But that also means that you can have an unhealthy view of the past. We see that in verse 16 to 18. Look, they said, that's the sons of the prophets. We, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days, but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, they said, we didn't find him. There, and I'm going to say certain things now. There is a difference between catching the vibe of a man and catching the vibe of the vision he had. While Elisha was looking for the God of Elijah, what were the sons of prophet looking for? They were looking for Elijah. There's a difference. Is this way in which we begin to idolize men of God. And we, we begin to feel as if we tie the move of God in a particular era to one man and not to God himself. And this is what happens when maybe a man of God that pioneered a particular ministry dies. You find out that the ministry most of the time begins to dwindle down and is just stagnant. Why? Because there was a transfer of power, but there was no transfer of vision. There was a transfer of power, but there was no transfer of the vision of the God that actually started that ministry in the first place. Somebody said to me, he said, the greatest threat to the success of tomorrow is the victory you had yesterday. So these people begin to build the ministry, the future of the ministry around what God has actually done in the past. The question is why? Why do you think the sons of the prophets were going about looking for Elijah? 
Remember what we said, Elijah was the security system of Israel. Elijah was the one that was calling fire, calling uh, rain, calling everything all about. So if they found Elijah, there will be no need for them to do that very same thing. We usually, we're usually stuck in the victories of the past because we are trying to absolve ourselves of responsibilities in the present. We are, but we understand and we know that the move of God is not tied to any man. When one man packs up, God still remains. When one man dies, God is still there for us. The power of God in the old era is still available to us in the new era. Amen. Amen. But like I said, it's an healthy view of the past with a deep sense of responsibility in the present. We've been discussing about the power of the old era, and that power is still available now. Um, kind of reminds me of um, Spider-Man, the original one, by, <laughs> by Tobey Maguire, that one. Right? Um, so Spider-Man, as the name implies, he got beaten by Spider-Man, and so he, had, he became Spider-Man. Yeah. He had superpowers and stuff, and um, there was a bully, and so he beats the bully one day, and his uncle was trying to advise him, Uncle Ben. So Uncle Ben and Peter Parker were sitting in a car, and Uncle Ben looked at him and said something. He said what? He said, with great power comes what? Comes great responsibility. And we also find that in the text as well. In verse 13 to 14, Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Two different actions. Two, one particular action leading to two different actions. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah. He stood by the Jordan. He took the cloak that falling from Elijah and he struck the water with it. Is this way in which most of the time we have all this biblical knowledge, this biblical wisdom, this power that we have that does not translate to biblical living? Elijah could have gotten that cloak and remained by the Jordan, but it's also a different matter if he actually struck the Jordan with the power he had received. And so for some of us, we believe that God is sovereign and you do well, but when you think about your future, or as you go on the rest of the week, as you make your plans, does, does the sovereignty of God or is the sovereignty of God still reflected in the way you make your plans? I remember, I, I believe I've been called to be a church planter. And um, so I was talking to my boss one day, Timmy Dio, and we were talking about future plans. And I, and, I was, and I was saying something like this. I was like, huh, I plan to do this thing. I don't think it will work. I plan to do that thing. But I don't think it'll work. I plan to do that one, but I don't think it'll work. Then I paused and said, ah, Tommy, why are you talking as if God is not sovereign, but you are? That is the sovereignty of God that I knew was actually not translating the way I was actually making my plans. And many of us are actually like that as well. That will say, for example, oh, I've been saved by grace through faith. I have been saved by grace. God stooped low to my level to actually bring me up into his bosom. But that same grace that we claim to believe is not being reflected, it's not being extended to people that probably don't think like us, act like us, or talk like us. Or maybe they're not even on the same status that, that, of, of the social status that we are. And so it's not extending. It's this biblical knowledge, this biblical wisdom that is not translating to biblical living. We have learned a lot from the Elijah series. Do not be hearers alone. Be doers of the word. James calls those that actually, James talks about, he said, he said, those that actually, that hearers alone are not doers of the word. They are like those that behold the mirror. And immediately they leave, they forget. He calls them fools at a point. The goal is not admiration of theologies and obedience to the word. The goal is not just for you to come to church and be saying, hmm, every time pastor talks. It's for that to translate. Between Monday and Saturday. Amen. Yes. I, yeah, thanks. I didn't mean it. The word of God said it. <laughs> kind of reminds me of a story. Um, I went to a particular church with a female friend of mine. And um, the pastor was really good. The pastor was really, really good. You know those kind of pastors that, even if you don't agree with what they are saying, 
by the time they are seeing it, they hear your body will still stand. Know how, know how. Like there's a vibe to them. They just something, they just speak so beautifully. So this pastor was preaching, and well, I drifted off. And uh, at the point in the sermon, I just heard my friend say, mm. and of course, my mind came back, and I was like, ah, what did he say? And she said, I didn't hear what he said, but the way he said it. Is this sensitive? So the question then is, the mood that you were doing on Sunday, how do you want to obey it? Between Monday and Saturday. And so again, we ought to let our mm in church translate to actually doing things during the week. Most of us believe that it is the gospel that transforms. And if I say the gospel transforms, you say, mm. Oh, if I say, oh, the gospel is the greatest story that has ever been told, you say, mm. But guess who is not telling it? You. Mm. <laughs> you know. You know. This happened in first service too. <laughs> but really, jokes apart, or maybe for some of us, the only time you ever get to declare the gospel is when you are trying to correct another person's theology, when you want to argue. So when people look at you, the gospel is not the power of transformation. The gospel is only a platform for you to display your superior intelligence. We will win those arguments, just so you know. We will win them. Why? Because the gospel is true. But guess what? You will win the argument, but you will lose the person. Or maybe you are here, you are saying, hey, go for them. They don't always argue every time. But you, you are always keeping your mouth shut. You are not different. Oh, for you it is, I am shy. I don't know enough of this Bible. I don't know enough to actually tell people about Jesus. But there was a woman in the Bible who also didn't know enough. But she still did something with what she has actually heard. So the Samaritan woman, in John chapter 4, verse 29, she said, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Come, see. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't have the right words to say. But she said, come and see. Point is this. Invite people to church. If indeed Christ has transformed you, if indeed the gospel is what transforms you and has transformed you, then it shouldn't be difficult for you to invite people to church. It shouldn't be difficult for you to invite people to your GCs. But the problem is this. We are constantly taking in. Constantly taking in, but never giving out. I believe many of us are spiritually constipated. I do believe so. So you are probably experiencing certain things in your spiritual life. Oh, my spiritual life is not moving forward. I'm just not feeling anything. Oh, it's like, it's like God is not really using me. How will God use you when, when, when most of the time the things he has actually told you, you have still not acted upon them? Maybe our problem is not that we are not hearing the word. Maybe our problem is that we are not keeping the word. In Matthew chapter 7, the signs of a false teacher is not that he says the, not that he says the wrong thing. It's that he says the right thing but does the wrong thing. It's that he says the right thing but he's not acting upon it. Those are signs of a false teacher as well. The power that we have received is not a power that allows us to stand at the bank of the Jordan we are supposed to launch out. It's not a power, not a power that makes you just concerned about being safe. No, it's a power that calls you to launch out. You see, many times, our lives, we are like ships. And we're like at the port, and somebody says, and we're safe there. But somebody says something, said a ship is safest at the port. But that's not, what it, that's not what it was made for. Most of the time, we're actually spending too much time at the port. If you spend too much time at the port, what will eventually happen is that you will rot. Yeah. What we ought to do, City Church, is to take the power that God has given unto us. Not for us to admire it. Remember the, the, the sons of the prophets? They looked at Elisha and they're like, oh, the spirit of God is upon you. Oh, they bowed before him. They admired the power. They admired the mantle, but it didn't translate to anything. 
what we ought to do is that we should take the power that God has given unto us and we should strike the water that has laid before us, that we strike the water of the obstacles to the mission of God even in our own lives. What we ought to do is to rise up and actually move out and launch out with confidence. The vibe of the new era is a healthy view of the past that gives us a deep sense of responsibility while looking to the future. In verse 25 of 2 Kings chapter 2, it's not in the text you read, but to be projected. It said, And Elisha, he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there, he returned to Samaria. Where was Samaria? If you have been following the story, Samaria was actually the headquarters of Israel at the time. Samaria was the headquarters of the spiritual darkness that Elijah, that Elijah was trying to combat. Elisha knew that the power that I have received is not meant for me to stand by the Jordan. It's for me to actually go back to Samaria and actually continue the mission of God there. Elijah might be gone, but the mission of God still continues. Elijah might be gone, but God is still willing to do something, even in his own time, in the same way. Christ may be gone, but the mission of God continues. City Church, do you understand the assignment? Because Elisha understood his. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. But also in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, what did he say? He said, you are the light of the world. In the very same way, this very, in the way that Christ acted upon the earth, we also are supposed to act that way too. We are the ones that are meant to continue the mission of actually shining the light of God, even in this era. People should constantly say, if I want to meet Jesus, I can also go and meet him. That there is something about your life that people can look at you and be like, there is, you, you operate from a different frequency. You operate, there's something up. They can't place it. Yes, you're going to then explain the gospel, but then you are living a life that is empowered by the power of the old era, not just the new. The same power that was available to Jesus is available to us. The same power of transformation. The same power of change. Maybe you are here, you are a parent. The power that is available to you is there not just for you to raise good citizens in Nigeria, but to actually raise godly saints and be transformed by the power of God. The power of God, all the, of those of us that are actually serving in city church, is there to transform that thing you do every Sunday from being a routine to being an equipment in the hands of God for people's transformation. The power of God is available, maybe in the music team, the power of God is available to touch that by the time you begin to sing, people are being lifted from a place of darkness to a place of light. People are being lifted from a place of valley to the mountain where they can actually commune with God. The power of God is available for those of us that have set out to share the gospel. Not just that we begin to win arguments, not just that we begin to share ideas, but literally people will come to Jesus because of the words that we profess. That power is still available. And so I've been talking about power, power, power. And that is the third point. The power of the new era. The power of the new era. We've been talking about obstacles to the mission of God all along in the sermon. And there, were, there has always been some things that actually stop the mission of God in a person's life or in a group of people or in a particular era. And maybe for us, as I've described, it is the irresponsibility that we have when the things that we know is not translated to the way we live. Or maybe it is the otherness of the hearts of the people you are trying to reach. Or maybe it is um, cultural darkness or social darkness. And all these things seem so big that it seems like they're going to obstruct the mission of God in our lives. And, but you see, for Elisha, the thing that was going to obstruct the mission of God was the Jordan River. Have you ever seen Jordan River before? Can you project it? Yeah. I know, right? 
That is the Jordan River. That's what is obstructing the mission of God in, in Elisha's life. Second picture. That. I mean, if you and again, what you are thinking is correct. This uh, Jordan doesn't deserve to be parted. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe, maybe they can wade through it. Maybe we should read that. Oh, and Elisha waded through the Jordan, and people were like, ah, oh, the power of God is upon you. Maybe they should, it could even it could even walk across. But this Jordan is not deep enough, right? But this is not the only time in the Bible where we find that the Jordan River served as an obstacle to the people of God when they are moving in the new era. We find it with Moses and Joshua as well. The children of Israel, they had wandered in the wilderness for about 40 years. And then they got to Canaan. They were about to enter into the new era. And the Jordan River stood there. And the Bible made a comment in Joshua chapter 3 verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. So there are certain times that the Jordan is actually deep enough. But there are times that it's not deep enough. So it seems to me then that God actually timed it in such a way that by the time these people are going to get to that Jordan, that Jordan was actually deep enough to reveal that the power that is with them is not a power that they can joke with, it's a power that has potency. But in the very same way, we find this with Christ as well. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest him, when, the, when the, there was political, political darkness and bad leaders, people wanted to unjustly like, arrest him. And at any point in time, he said to them, he said, I can call 10,000 legions of angels to come and deliver me. And so Jesus could have decided to pass the Jordan of uh, political darkness. Jesus could have decided to pass that Jordan, but he said, you know what? This Jordan is not deep enough. If I pass this one now, they will not understand the potential of the power that is actually operating now. So they moved on again. And you get to a point where they were actually beating him. They were striking his body. The Bible says his body was stunned. He, there were stripes over his body. And at any point in time, Jesus that has healed people, Jesus that has raised the dead, can get to a point where we say, you know what? I will sew my body back together. And so, but Jesus looked upon that one too. I said, you know what? This Jordan is still not deep enough. The Jordan of physical inability is still not deep enough. Jesus said, you know what? We're going to continue in this. And so we got to a point, we get to the cross and they nailed his hands and his feet and he was standing and he was there upon the cross. And people came to meet him and he said, if you are the son of God, come down. He could have come down. It would have been a sight to behold. But he looked at the Jordan of the persecution of the culture. He looked at the Jordan of the taunt of the culture and said, this is still not deep enough. So at what point then is the Jordan going to be deep enough. We find out that even though Moses handed over power to Joshua, Joshua still died. Even though Elijah handed over power to Elisha, Elisha still died. The greatest threat to the mission of God in our lives, in the life of every other person, is actually death. Death is Jordan at its deepest. And that is why Jesus went under this Jordan Pretend to die. The Bible said, we said that we can also say concerning Christ that Christ was no more. We didn't hear about him anymore. Oh, people felt that the mission of God most likely has stopped. But we know the story doesn't end there. Because from the belly of the grave, from the heart of the Jordan, Jesus carries that mantle and he strikes the water of the Jordan of death. And death actually parted. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I am building my church and the gate of Hades shall not prevail. What does Hades mean? death. I am building my church and the gate of death cannot prevail over this. Because the Jordan of death has been parted, 
We can look at every other Jordan that comes our way. The Jordan of physical inabilities, the Jordan of the persecution of the culture, the Jordan of bad political leaders. And we can look at them and say, you're not deep enough. If Jesus had parted the Jordan of death, you will also be parted. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the Bible says, if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us, that same spirit is cooking our mortal bodies. By the very same spirit, we have been given the power. Repeat after me, I have been given the power. Say with confidence, I have been given the power. There's one particular song we used to sing when we were growing up. We used to say, we are able to go up and take the mountain, to possess Jordan River to the sea. Though the enemy may be on the way to hinder, God will surely give us the victory. Ephesians 3.20 For our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think according to that power that worketh in us. Nothing can stop the move of God. What we are supposed to do is take the mantle that God has given us and strike the Jordan of injustice, strike the Jordan of unemployment, strike the Jordan of addictions, strike the Jordan of depression by the power of God. We are in a new era and this era has a greater scope. We are in a new era and the power of the old era is still available even now. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.